Who's messing with the lights? Is your choice still out there? Phone's dead. Jenna, give a cell phone. Do you have anything? Nothing has a signal. What the fuck are you doing here? Trent. Get the fuck out of here, buddy. Easy. He's just trying the to help us. you? You leave with this guy for eight hours? Fucking all over the woods? You know what? Why don't both of you just get the fuck out? Listen, dumb shit, there's a bigger problem. There's more. Are you serious? Fuck. There is a killer out there. He's the one who cut the lights, okay? Trent, don't you get it? Chelsea and Nolan never came back. Lawrence, what are you doing? My boy's still out there. I'm gonna go get him. No, look, man, don't go out there, please. Look, I told you fools, I hate. Can't get a handle on me. Surprise you every time. Welcome to part two of our Friday the 13th, 2009 edition episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Stu, he knows this part. He just went to stretch his legs, maybe write another Friday 13th blog entry for his website. So it's just Alex and I right now. And uh, Alex, I want to start by reading something from the patron chat. Uh, something Uh-oh. that every patron has access to. Whether you're on the dollar tier or the $10 tier, it doesn't matter. All patrons have access to the chat. And this is the answer to uh, a question that we posed last episode. We we're wondering why Jason Nerdrovert, uh, one of our oldest patrons, uh, gave us Dunstan Checks In as an assignment. Oh, I missed this. Uh, yeah. This is hot off the presses. He just wrote this. <laughs> says, I was nine when Dunstan Checks In came out. I had that clamshell and wore out the VHS. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So there you go, Alex. That's very fair. Sometimes there's, there's no big mystery. There's no conspiracy. Sometimes it's just nostalgia. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> so... There you go, in case you were wondering about the origin, the secret origin of uh, our Dustin Checks In episode. Thank you, Jason, for sharing. You can share, too, if you uh, become a patron at any level. Just join the chat. That is, like I said, starting with the Travoltis, the the dollar tier, the ground floor. Uh, Also, on that tier, you have access to our current room floor uh, segments, which is all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes. Especially when we have guests, like right now, Alex and Stu just going back and forth about Friday 13th. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. how much of this is going to make to the episode. Well, whatever doesn't make it to the main feed, it's going to make it to the patron feed. So you'll have access to that. And then, of course, you have access to the bonus episodes. That's, those are also available to every patron. This month, we're keeping the, the theme, the monkey theme, and uh, it's King Kong. I guess, Alex, maybe you could you could make the argument uh, we didn't because we already recorded this episode, but uh, <laughs> that... <laughs> that uh, it's in keeping with the the Dunstan theme of monkeys and the serial killing theme of Friday Thirteenth because King Kong he racks up a body count in that movie. He does, yeah. So so there you go. Both uh, in multiple species, no less. Yeah, yeah. He, he goes against dinosaurs, against the the natives from Skull Island, and then against New Yorkers. He <laughs> has himself a buffet. Uh, but that's on the Patreon feed. That's our bonus episode for February that was assigned to us by Jordan Mans. Now, if you want more, then you just go up a tier. Go up to the Winonis, the $3 tier. And then you have access to our pre-recording notes. You have access to our quick video reviews. Not so quick most of the time. This month, patron Brandon Curtis has assigned us individual QVRs. So Alex is going to be doing the movie Triple Threat, starring mm-hmm. uh, Michael J. White. And I will be doing the movie Lost Bullet, starring a bunch of French people. Uh, and then, of course, you also get access to Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're thinking about, that we're listening to. So, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Nothing too spectacular, but just a recap of uh, movies I've been watching this month, unrelated to the podcast, including... Uh, two first-time watches that I'll be going deeper into, that being the 2017 George Clooney-directed Coen Brothers-written Suburbicon and the 2019 French drama Revenir, which translates, uh, or at least the English title, I should say, is Back Home, starring who else but Adele Exarchopoulos and the lead 
is a, a guy, Niels Schneider. We'll talk about Mr. Schneider a bit more in After Hours. But it's a movie that's an hour and 17 minutes long. We need more of these, Julio. All the same, two movies from the past, not even five years. So <laughs> I, uh, I can't even claim that I'm watching modern stuff. But we got some, we got some Matt Damon. We got some uh, some French drama in our life, and uh, and uh, also be going over any of the movies I watched in between, which have just been a bunch of rewatches. On my end, Alex, I I have a new movie or newish movie, and I have a really old movie that's part of our part of the fabric of our conversations, especially on Patreon, I think. Uh, but I watch Poor Things. That's a new one. Uh, that's the Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe movie that's racked up Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best. Actress. In my circles, I've heard mixed things about it. I understand. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, yeah, that's not for everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I I I think it was for me. I I like it. I think Emma Stone is amazing. I think it even if you don't like the movie, you have to appreciate her performance. Uh other elements, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. But I, I think it's it's definitely worth watching. And Alex, it's not a sequel, it's not a prequel. It's not a superhero movie. <laughs> it's sort of based on Frankenstein, I guess. <laughs> but mm-hmm. even so, I mean, it's not, it, it's a very, uh, it's a breath of fresh air. And it really pumped me up to just go see it in, in theaters and see that there's a lot of people watching it and talking about it. So uh, I'll I'll do the same and I'll tell you about it. Uh, and then And then we'll travel back to the late 90s as I'll tell you about my recent excursion to watch PTA's Magnolia at uh, the Alamo Draft House, 35 millimeter screening. It was wonderful. Those of you who have listened to us for a while, you know Magnolia is my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and it remains at the top of the list after this latest watch. Wow. It's it's so good, man. And uh, we'll save that for the last part of the After Hours. It's just going to be me telling you how awesome it is. I just recently rewatched Boogie Nights, too, and I can tell you categorically uh it's better than <laughs> magnolia uh no <laughs> <laughs> all right for more of this check the after hours where we will we will have a fight uh magnolia poor things suburbicon is that the name, the name of it suburbicon yeah and back home a lot of good stuff with the after hours check it out and then if you want to be part of those patrons that tell us what to watch like like Jason giving us Dunson checks in. That's what the five and ten dollar tiers are for, the Embrys and the Gats. So go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime, look at what we're offering, and just see how you would like to contribute to the contrarian supplements. One dollar, three dollar, five dollars, and ten dollars are our respective tiers. Julio's kind of broke down the goodies that come along with all of them, but head on over to patreon.com slash contrarian prime, drop a buck in, take a look around, see what you like, and Inevitably, you're going to want more, and fortunately, there's levels for you to jump up to. Uh, we have our patron goals out there for when we hit 30, 40, and 50 patrons. Uh, so now's the time to make the jump, as they say. It's an election year, after all. God knows what's going to happen. Might as well get in your giggles while you can, and we're happy to provide them. Yeah, join new patron Aiden Miller. Hello, Aiden. Thank you uh, for your patronage, and uh, we hope you uh, you have a good time with the rest of the patrons. Welcome. And now, Alex, I think uh, Stu just saved and posted to his website, so he's ready to come back in and uh, and tell us how much he really likes Friday 13th, 2009. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, are you going to buy something? I mean, you, you've been up here for, for quite a while yapping, so... All right, Julio, Stu is back with us. It's time to move along to some real talk here. Uh, we've covered a lot of bad movies on this podcast and like, you know, that's part of the fun is the acting and figuring out what arguments we're going to make uh, to support our claims, whether we believe them or not. Uh, now, fortunately, because we had a guest, I kind of was just for the most part was a navigator of the plot and y'all uh, did the lion's share of the work there. But I don't know if there's a movie we've done. We've done worse movies. Don't get me wrong. Like Hancock <laughs> is still way worse than this, but like. This movie just like hurt me. Like it hurt my feelings. I remember when I saw it in the theater, just walking out. Uh, our 
tremendous video editor Corey, as you mentioned, you saw it with him, and he walked out of the theater during the movie. It was uh, uh, I stayed the, the end. Like he missed out on the the final scare. Like he didn't get to see Jason come back out of the water. And when well, I wouldn't I, say he missed it, <laughs> right? But he, he was smoking outside, <laughs> and when I came out, I told him, "I was like, oh yeah, this happened," and he couldn't have cared less. <laughs> he was like, "Whatever." And I was like, "Man, we came to see it because of you." <laughs> he was like, "Done." It was like um, that Simpsons where George Bush spanks Bart, where he doesn't like know how to react. He just kind of walks home, like questioning what happened and that's kind of like how i was with this and it took me a few days to formulate my thoughts on it and uh, i didn't watch it again until the christmas which was a couple years ago when i got the scream factory box set i was like all right time to give this another spin and it was somehow worse than i remembered it (laughs) and then like it can't get worse in my memory than it is right now so today was nothing full of surprises uh but in watching it through the analytical lens that I did and in trying to find things to praise about why it's different, it made me able to more accurately, you know, assemble my thoughts of why I dislike this movie so much. <laughs> you know, I always try to be careful about using the word hate because that needs to be reserved for very specific instances, but this, like this might be one of them. This might be one of them. <laughs> Hancock, yeah, this this will, Hancock will always be worse. That the when the question comes up, is it worse than no? It, it's not worse than Hancock. But anyway, I've, we've got much to get into, and I think my brother in Friday the Thirteenth fandom uh, may be on the same side of the fence as me. I don't know where you're at, uh, so I want to get into it. But before we do, twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning that you know, and this movie has its defenders. My buddy Armadillo Dave, he and I have gone hell for leather in the DMs about this movie before, about you know why he likes it, and uh, there's some people I follow on Twitter that I know are very big supporters of this. So it has its fans. Uh, what what do critics have to say in a positive light about Marcus Nispel's Friday the Thirteenth? All right, here we go with some some fresh quotes, some fresh tomatoes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. We're going to start with uh, Armadillo Dave, who said, Nikki Bahan from Roll Credits says, Marcus Nispel's Friday the 13th retains at least some of the spirit that made the original such a classic. Guys, agree, Absolutely disagree? Absolutely fucking not, no. <laughs> I mean, depends on what you mean by some, because 1% is technically some. <laughs> Next, Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online says, If you're a diehard Jason fan like myself, check out the movie with popcorn and a group of friends. If not, sit this one out. I think it's the other way around. Based yeah, on absolutely. I, I definitely say it's the other way around. I think if you're a Friday the 13th fan, this movie is particularly egregious. But if you just like horror movies and you don't really care about the franchise, you'll probably have a better time with this. Next, Greg Mackey from Star Democrat, Easton, Maryland. Made with more care and keeps a much firmer grip on reality than most of the sequels churned out throughout the 80s. That is a very unfortunate series of words that was just put together there. (laughs) So you're actually going to bat for most of the sequels in the 80s. Yes. Man, you, you fanboys. I guess I'm not surprised. I expected this. Just a unified front in defense of Friday the 13th. I'll explain why in just a moment. <laughs> uh, Camilla Albertson from TV Guide says, in addition to being awesome, it all just feels kind of celebratory, even reverent, like a tribute to what teen slasher films are all about. I want to watch the cut of this movie that she watched. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Is it a love letter to teen slasher films? <laughs> No, there's there's a movie that came out 15 years before that called Scream that was literally a love letter to teen slasher films. Uh, All right. There's a love email. We're going to close with uh, Scott Weinberg from The Horror Show, who says, I would say they did a solid enough job of resurrecting a simple scary tale for a new generation. Alex, Stu, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the crux of the 2009 but If that's the case, it didn't work because nothing came from this. Uh, that's the one you read that I, I would give the most like, eh, okay, to in the sense of they're trying to make, uh, you know, it's Poochie. They needed the the dog that gets bizet and the, this Jason is a different Jason. And <laughs> it's, 
I don't I don't know it, where to fucking begin on this. Uh, but <laughs> Stu, would you agree with that? The idea of this maybe being an attempt at making it a, a, a new like I don't know where oh, they yeah. could have gone from here per se, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, they definitely attempted. There was the. I don't know how you personally feel about this. Maybe I will just terribly offend you here. I think the 2000s was just a a low decade for horror in general. I think everything was very torture porn-esque throughout that whole era. And I feel like this was, hey, what if we make a 2000s era kind of quasi torture porn Jason movie? And it's, it's not what I ever wanted. No, yeah, that doesn't offend me. I agree with that for the most part. Uh, I obviously am a gigantic fan of The Devil's Rejects. Um, oh, yeah, no, there's good stuff. Like, I really like the Dawn of the Dead remake. But yeah, yeah. I think, by and large, the 2000s, I think of Hostel, and it just makes me sad. Yeah, there was, the 2000s was that weird decade of, like, there was the, like, accessible, or not accessible, but the... Um, you know, the every everyday horror, what I mean by that is anyone who went and saw it was like, oh, man, that could happen to me, like uh, your grudges and your rings. And then there was this like the advent of Saw just made it the other side of horror in that decade was just what let's be the grossest we absolutely can be. Uh, and that's yeah, that both of those things are kind of here. OK, well, as long as you two are comfortable being considered the old guard in this scenario. <laughs> You can at least be open to the idea that maybe your time as Friday the 13th fans has come and gone. You have 10, 11 movies that are just yours. And now it's time for the young ones. New kids. That's not how it works, dude. That's not that's not how it works. So we've, <laughs> I, we've learned that with Star Wars and some other shit. That's, that's the Halloween thing, too. As much as I fucking loved the green and mcbride trilogy we got the fans that didn't like it do have a place to gripe of this isn't what i want if they wanted to make like a new modernized horror movie just make a new you know that's what jigsaw was or um tobin bell like that saw from the get-go and since has delivered to its fans what it wants when you have something this is i'm obviously very passionate about the subject being a wrestling fan and uh (laughs) having lived through stuff like this repeatedly, when you have something like Friday the 13th, that is not the people who keep it alive are people like me and Stu. And so it's because what they gave us, you know, for the majority is stuff we really enjoy. So we are well within our rights because the whole reason there was ever a remake is because of people like us that kept it afloat or whatnot. And it's not like Star Wars. That that's what something I want to get across here. Star Wars has very a very passionate fan base, but Star Wars is a fucking global phenomenon. It has been since 1977. Friday the Thirteenth has always been, you know, those Paramount, those first uh, five or six made really good money because they were good date movies. But the fan base behind that is just rabidly passionate and is the reason it stays afloat. Uh, you know, yes. In pop culture, the imagery of the hockey mask is known, but the reason that the friend that name still exists is because people like myself, like Stu, like all the people I see at horror conventions I go to, they keep buying it. When they remaster and re-release it, we're the ones that buy it. And so we are within our rights to say, hey, this isn't what we want when this comes out. And beyond that, you can go fuck yourself if you get mad at someone <laughs> saying that, you know, the screenwriters or Marcus Dispel here, oh, this is what I wanted to make. It's like, cool, then make another movie. You know, the, the the I like Marcus Spell's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And part of that is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a deathly serious film. There's some things in it that are funny to me now, like Sally, get back and push down, you know, but like at no point is that movie supposed to be like, ha ha or as over the top as possible. So you when you make a modern remake of that, no three and expand on it, make the violence a bit more intense, you know, and there's really no ha ha in that movie. With this, trying to be like Jason runs and he lays booby traps. And it's these things that kind of abandoned the... And there's no fun in this. There's no fun at all. Oh. And I know... Chewie would disagree. I think Chewie's having a blast in this movie. Look, your parents do not have combos or Funyuns. And they definitely don't have Fritos. And this is not for sex. Well, this is where we might reach an impasse with you, Julio. Because you don't (laughs) enjoy... Like the the Paramount Friday the 13th, the ones you've seen, 
you don't get the same stuff from that like uh, myself or Stu would. And, you know, I want stupid characters and I want dumb dialogue. And yeah, they, they don't give you us get boobs, that in this movie, <laughs> dude. They give like this backstory where the character's mom died of cancer. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? That's really heavy for a, a Jason movie where we typically have like a girl getting choked out and stabbed while she's eating a banana. It's it, it just doesn't have the same context here. You're talking about the same franchise that like, you know, Jason lives starts with Jason walking across the screen like James Bond and slashing the screen and then blood pours down. So to do this shit and then like um, make him like hyper intelligent with the underground tunnels and shit. And I mean, if I, I it takes it too seriously, that would be the, the problem with it. And trying to make Trent like so unlikable and like this, the stupendous thing that that's got to be. There's <laughs> got to be more to that than than I know. But I, I know these screenwriters Shannon and Swift and I'm a fan of Freddy versus Jason but they uh, in um I assume Stu you've seen Crystal Lake Memories yes yeah yeah they they stand by it they they're supporters of it and it's it's weird it, it is weird that I can like the Nispel's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then so viciously dislike this I understand that there's something to that but I, I can get that I, I actually get that uh, because I I can see how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake takes what was in the original and digs deeper a little bit, you know, it expands, but doesn't take a different direction. I don't think, you know, as, as the non Friday 13 connoisseur <laughs> that I am, I don't feel the variations the way that you guys do. Like, I get it. Like, you know, I, when he ran at the beginning of the movie, I was like, oh, he's running. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> But it didn't. How can you not get the? You watched <laughs> Jason Takes Manhattan, where the sewer floods with toxic waste every night, and that's how they beat Jason. Like, come on, man. Okay, this so they, that so that movie has a subplot where, like, at least for half the movie, you're wondering if the main character was molested by her uncle. So you can't tell me that the the, the franchise doesn't like even for fun go to like some places. You know, yes, it's not like somebody's mom dying of cancer, but it's still. Like these movies are silly. Like that's and, and I I'm not invalidating your feelings. Obviously, dude, we had we had like verbatim the same discussion in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake episode. Yes, but that's a different. No, actually, because I I think I can tell you categorically because I've seen both. You know, like that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. It's not a good movie, but it's better than the original, <laughs> or or it's oh, more God. to what I wanted because dude, because that. Is... that I, I think like that movie that Julio has died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> I was hey. going to say, I don't think there's any line in contrarian's history. I've been as personally offended by. <laughs> there is a whole episode where I lay out my, my case, but I just basically, I think that that story works better uh, or I find it more interesting as a story that takes itself a little more seriously versus the campy stuff that Wes Craven did with the first one. Now with, with this one, I just, when I think Friday the 13th, I just think of, most of the things that this movie does, right? Like a bunch of dumb characters that go camping and then they get picked apart one by one and it's gory and there's sex, there's boobs, there's like really dumb dialogue, there's some cool kills and and then at the end they think that they got him but then he comes back again. It's like So that's how it feels like it's written. Like, you know, you, there's such an intangible that uh, the Jeff Jarrett once said of pro wrestling for those who believe uh, no explanation is needed for those who don't believe no explanation will do. And Stu and I and Stu, I promise I'll let you have the floor here in a second. We could like explain to you till we're blue in the face why we love like the campy value or the things that come along with the originals. But it to you, that's just what we get here. And, you know, there's no uh, Ted, where's the corkscrew or uh, school is out McCulloch like these characters that are written like characters in a play here it feels like someone was familiar with the idea of friday the 13th and then just wrote it to be in a movie with a bunch of lens flares and shit like it's uh it just annoys me on a level that it shouldn't because trust me friday the 13th should not be taken as seriously as i do after i watch something like this like when i watch three and you know 
the guy gets his head squeezed until his eyeball pops out. I'm just like laughing, and, you know, yeah, and rubbing my belly and just like, oh man, it used to be better than I watched this, and it <laughs> makes me like overly defensive of something that is so not serious to begin with, and you know, the even the boobs in this feel like. <laughs> They feel like keys being jingled. Like it's just like ah, here you go. See, this uh, is what you is wanted. Jingling for sure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh. uh, and then also the third act of this is just literally the the third act of Nispel's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I would be curious if like there was he read the script. He's like, fuck this. Just use the last twenty pages of the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> script. We'll be all right. <laughs> But anyway, Stu, you are our guest. Uh, I know you're as passionate about this subject as I am, and it's just, it's one of those things, I'm having a hard time articulating it to Julio, but it feels like, you know, it's the thing of, I can talk shit about my family, but someone else can't. When this movie came out, I was like, I shouldn't take this dumb series of movies as seriously as I do, but this makes me do that to get my point across. Yeah, it's it's something you had alluded to earlier where, he and everybody behind this movie clearly had a horror movie in mind that they wanted to make. And then they just like slapped Friday the 13th on it because they knew that would sell. Like this doesn't feel like a Friday the 13th. And I know Julio makes a lot of good points about it has this, it has this, it has this, but there's too much polish here. Those movies in the eighties felt like they were made for $500,000. The everything was the quality of $500,000. And it felt like there was a lot of passion that went into making it all come together. Somehow this movie looks like it was made for $20 million, but there was no passion to it whatsoever. It doesn't really feel like anybody's involved in anything. It feels very wrote. It feels like, all right, here's the scene where we throw the boobs in. All right, here's the scene where he machetes somebody. But it's all done with a killer that has any resemblance to Jason Voorhees from the 80s is purely coincidental <laughs> with the running and the setting of traps. Like I said, this is a different killer. This is a different character entirely that they just slapped a hockey mask on and they were like, look, everyone, it's Jason. But it's it's not Jason. It's not what I grew up with. And I know I joked about it in Contrarian's Corner, but I want the slow stalking Jason like that's what gave me nightmares when I was a five or six year old kid was this slow stalking, grimy, decaying monster that you just couldn't get away from. Not like I'm a fast hillbilly and I'm just <laughs> happened to be wearing a hockey mask. That's a uh, perfect wording there. It, it, it's too clean. And that's like um, that old Pete and Pete episode where a guy, uh, you know, to show that you can eat anything cleanly, he eats like a plate of barbecue ribs with like a knife and fork and doesn't get any sauce anywhere. And then when it's done, you know, Pete realizes, but that's not fun. He's like, the fun is, you know, getting the sauce all over your face and on your fingers. And that's that I, you put it perfectly. It's too clean. It feels too, in addition to not being like, you know, the tropes or the, the style we wanted in that's, it's not what it's supposed to be, man. It's supposed to be kind of gritty. And like you said, I, I want to see let you know, some props hanging out in certain scenes or the uh practical but sometimes bad practical effects. And what becomes of that, the issue with that, is you cannot do that in two thousand nine. The modern audiences would not accept that. And that's it just becomes okay, well then just let the Friday the thirteenth movies exist and make a new killer. Make make um Roderick. Well, he's a, a guy who sets traps and protects his crop farm. You know, so it's Roderick uh, the weed farmer. <laughs> yeah. Roderick the axe throwing weed farmer. It's okay. You can stop now. Well, okay, so if this movie was not called Friday the 13th and it was just called Monday the 10th or whatever and it had no it wasn't set in Crystal Lake and it, it was just like a horror movie that you could say like hey this has some similarities with the Friday 13 franchise like would you enjoy it I'm not saying you know I'm not talking about the if it wouldn't offend you but I'm like would you actually enjoy a movie that plays the way that this movie plays without the Jason Friday 13 skin on it I think we talked about that a little bit in Contrarian's Corner, where we talked about the difference between viewing this movie as a Friday the 13th movie or just viewing this as a movie. As mm -hmm. just a movie, 
I'll sit down and watch this several times in my life and it's fine. Like it's, it's of that era of horror that I didn't love, but I'll watch it. But as a Friday the 13th movie, for me, there's only one entry worse in the entire franchise. And that's Jason goes to hell, which is just inexcusably bad for me. Mm-hmm. This one of the ones I like. <laughs> <laughs> Jason goes to hell. I mean, I've seen it once and I just remember I was, I was really young and I just remember thinking that was fun. <laughs> they do napalm Jason at the beginning. That's it is worth it for that, I guess. I can I can see how this this movie just just to agree with you guys a little bit. I can see how this feels prepackaged in a way that maybe the the original movies, all the previous movies, don't really, even though I think that they had their own way, their own brand of prepackaging. You know, like I, I think that nobody sits out at least, I don't think <laughs> nobody sets out to make a Friday Thirteen movie to make high art or to like convey a message or anything, right? Instead, it's just like, well, we're gonna scare them, we're gonna freak them out, we're gonna. Sir, get them you have seen Jason Takes Manhattan. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's right, that <laughs> indictment of New York. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like there, there was a formula, and they just stuck to the formula every time. And yes, there was less polish, but it was still. A package, right? Like it's like we gotta hit these marks, and we gotta do it as cheaply as possible, and and then they're gonna come back for another one in a couple of years. And so this one feels the same, you know, as far as the like when you say that there was no passion, like I don't know, and maybe that's that's a big difference between the two of us. Like I don't know that there's a whole lot of passion in the other ones, right? Like I mean, they're just making them to make money because they're slashers. Like I can see that there's, there's passion from the audience. Like you guys are more passionate, I think, about them than like the people that are like putting it together. Maybe not the people acting, you know, the people that are actually in the trenches, you know. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that uh, an immediate retort I would have to that is like. Any of those that Tom Savini was working on the special effects, like that's the type of shit that just that is a, a master of his craft at work. And those are the types of movies he really shines in. So, right. But not, I not might them. mean that in a different way. But in, yeah, the, you know, the people that are green lighting them and they're saying, OK, let's do another one. And, oh, yeah. You know, that's, Paramount was too good for it. And they were like, all right, four is it. And then it made all that money. And they're like, ah, come on back, Jason. <laughs> Welcome back to the party. <laughs> Well, I mean, do you do you think that uh, Jerry Paladecki, uh, Danielle Panabaker, uh, fucking Ben Feldman, do you think that they do? not you think that they actually care? Like, it seems to me like they care. Like, I think that they put on, uh, you know, regardless of how you feel about the movie, like I think that they're doing the job that's required of them. Like, it's just more polished. Well, we talked about it's they're playing characters that they've always played, with the exception of the guy from Superstore, which I haven't watched Superstore. <laughs> I doubt he acts like that in Superstore, but maybe. He does not. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like we said, this isn't very different from Sam Winchester. This isn't very different from what Danielle Panabaker usually plays. They've This feels like a paycheck movie for them. And I'm not saying they're bad in it by any stretch of the imagination. They're They're adequate. But it doesn't feel like they're really putting on anything or or risking anything whenever they make this movie. Whereas the acting in the old 1980s Friday the 13th is bad. But I mean, like you're dealing with people who are nobodies at that point. They're showing up and they are legitimately trying their best, even if it's, you know, a terrible effort. And that's what I want to see. I want to see people trying and swinging, even if they're spinning around at the base and falling down, (laughs) they're at least going out there because like, you know, they could be the next Kevin Bacon in their head. You know, that's what they're thinking. Sam Winchester was already the next Sam Winchester when this came out. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely examples throughout the Friday the 13th franchise of um, you can tell actors thinking like this is their moment. (laughs) Julius, honestly, and Jason takes Manhattan. uh, VC Dupree, I think is his name. Uh That dude, he's he's swinging for the fences. And, and, you know, I, I it's the same decade. Jason X came out and that's exactly just what Stu was explaining. It's a bunch of nobodies in it that. You know, a couple of them are just like, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm, I might not get this shot again. I'm going to go for it. Okay, and don't that you call dumb David Cronenberg a nobody? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that the one he said he would do it only if he got killed on screen by Jason? I think that was <laughs> true fan. Uh, but yeah, that was the same decade. And that obviously that movie didn't make anywhere near as much money as this did. And, you know, to be fair and not just pick on, the ad wizards at Paramount for this one. And, you know, Nispel and the screenwriting duo of Shannon and Swift, 
we haven't called out. We've mentioned two of them being Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This was the era of the horror remake. That was a large part of the 2000s from about 03 onward was we're remaking any fucking thing that we can. Uh, Halloween had already been remade. You know, this was the same year. Oh, nine. That is, was, um, the last house on the left remake and my bloody Valentine starring the other Winchester brother. <laughs> there you go. And a lot of those are exactly like what Stu was just outlining of people knowing that there's life on the other side of this movie. So it, you, the charm of that is when someone's a bad actor, but they're trying really hard. That's when you come up with, you know, Crispin Glover obviously turned out to be great at what he does, but how hard he's going for it in the final chapter. I already quoted it, but Tad, where's the corkscrew? Tad? Like that that type of shit you don't get from homeboy from Veronica Mars. You know, <laughs> he, he already know He's settled into what he's good at. He know, He knows there's life on the other side of this. So. It is a victim of the period of time it came out, but that being said, there were still it's the easiest one to go to because Marcus Nespel directed it too. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Even within that, they offer new things. Like the subplot of Leatherface having, you know, skin cancer, so his face decayed and kids bullied him. I don't like that. I don't think it's necessary, but it's trying something. All of like the charm and things I like, and I don't mean to speak for Stu, but kind of I, I think if we're on the same train of thought, all of the fun aspects of what we came to love about the franchise are stripped away here, and nothing is added. Nothing new is offered. But they added it's just the traps, and like I mean, I know you don't like them, but but <laughs> you, you can't say that they didn't do anything new. I mean, you know they they gave you a slightly different take on Jason. And, and they gave you uh, again, but you none of like the backstory or lore changes. That's what I mean. Like there, there's nothing new added. Or uh, yes, he uses traps. His methods of killing are different and more, you know, violent and expedited. But like the story is still the same, except for some reason he wants to protect weed. Which what the fuck? <laughs> I love you, and you, and you. I even love you. I get it. I get it. I I don't share the the passion, but I I I'm slowly piecing it together, right? Like the, apparently, and this was not fully apparent to me, at least when it comes to both of you. Something that is an intrinsic part of the franchise is the lack of polish, right? Like I, I, I'm not <laughs> misunderstanding that. Like you like your Friday Thirteens, like cheap looking and just like. You like to see the struggle on screen of like actually putting this on screen. There's something just like uh, I always call out. Halloween is my favorite movie of all time. The original. When Michael escapes Smith's Grove, when he breaks the car window that uh, the nurse and Loomis are in, you clear as day see the wrench in the actor's hand when he breaks the the window. And now I love I love me some Titanic. And I obviously, you know, the way of water I thought was a hoot. And I could name, you know, Scorsese makes visually beautiful movies and all that. And I love when someone who's really good at that can do that. But there's still something so fucking punk rock about seeing the wrench in the dude's hand or like when someone gets their head cut off in one of these movies and the bloodstream stops because it backed up and then it shoots out more like that. That's <laughs> there. I, I don't know. I guess I can't explain it. I'm trying to, but. No, no, yeah, no. I mean, but I think that's pretty clear. I mean, what you're saying, it's just not what I would expect, but that makes, I mean, that justifies your your very passionate dislike of this movie because that's not what you see here. I mean, the, the polish is a thing that that's inarguable. I mean, you, you know, it's it's here and I don't think it's in the, in the Friday 13 movies that I've seen. And if you guys are also seeing that and, you know, picking on that as one of the things that this movie doesn't get right. I mean, if what happens or one of the reasons that this was not successful is because a Friday 13 movie is not supposed to be, you know, polished uh, or put together too cleanly. Like, I get it. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't agree with it because I just don't, I'm not a fan of the franchise. So to me, it was just like, oh, it's like a Friday 13 movie, but with higher production value. Uh, is that like a widespread argument that you guys share with like other people that are fans of the franchise? I would imagine it wouldn't be too far off from a lot of people. I think what it comes down to is the movies that we grew up liking all had that unpolished quality to it. So that's kind of what we associate with the movies. I'm thinking 
they very well could make a polished $50 million Friday the 13th movie, but this wasn't it. This wasn't it at all. So I don't know what you would have to do differently, but you would have to stick more to the legends, give people the Jason that they want. You can still make it look more expensive. You can still make it look better, but you still have to... I want to find a better word than pander, but you still have to cater to the fans and what they want. You still have to give people what they want. Again, it's like if they started making a bunch of Star Wars movies, but they just didn't have lightsabers in them and never really explained why. Just all of a sudden, nobody has laser beam swords. People are going to wonder, well, what happened? Why, why don't they have laser beam swords anymore? Like, if you're going to make a Jason movie that's going to cost a lot of money. You still have to give people from the early days of the franchise, what they want, which is not running Jason, which is not bear trap. Jason. It's, it's, it still has to be. I personally want more zombie Jason. That was my favorite eras after he was already dead and was decaying and super strong. I want more of that personally, just, just give people something more like the old movies. I don't know. Like I said, it's, When I think of the franchise, I think of the lack of polish. I think of the bad acting, and that's what makes me happy. So I'm trying to picture what a $50 million good Jason movie would look like. And it exists, but like I said, it's it it ain't this. This isn't it at all. There are varying degrees of enjoyment people take from the Halloween franchise. But, I mean, the 2018 one, whether you like the story or where it went, what have you, there are moments in that that feel... Like these are the same. This is the same guy that was in the movie that was in 1978 that cost five bucks to make. Like you know, and that's a major Hollywood production at that point. There are ways to capture it. I mean, you can make the argument Halloween's a bit more serious in tone uh, when done well than Friday the Thirteenth. But yeah, to well, agree. But, with- but I would also say that movie is meant to be the same guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that the more apt comparison would be the the Rob Zombie Halloween. Like when you're watching the Rob Zombie Halloween, do you feel like that Michael Myers is the same Michael Myers from the original Halloween? No. Yeah, no, not not played by Dag Farish and his <laughs> eminently punchable face. Well, For like a 10-year-old boy, it sucks to say, but <laughs> Well, it's talking about adult. Uh, was it Tyler Main? Yeah, Tyler Main. Yes. Uh, Big Sky. So, but you don't hate the Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween, the way that you hate this movie. Kind of hate the second one. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a whole different ball of uh, fun there. It, so, you know, what you guys were saying, right? There's all, there was this era where we just, and I think they, they've done it with all the big ones, right? Like, you know, so they did Halloween, they did Nightmare on Elm Street, they did Friday 13th, they've, more recently, they've done uh, Child's Play, right? You like yeah. that, that one, Alex? Was that? I did enjoy that. I yeah. haven't seen it, but is it like? I guess you you don't think of Child's Play as unpolished and, and like rough around the edges the way that you do with Friday Thirteen. No, I mean the, honestly, the Chucky doll, the animatronics of that were kind of revolutionary for the time. Uh, it felt like the whole reason I liked that was it felt like if that movie had been made in 2019, that's what it would have been and what it what it was another thing here there's a big nice house and shit uh and they have cell phones and gps's and whatnot but there's still that sepia tone lens that filter over the entire movie that makes it seem like it's supposed to be older than it is i don't know man worked for the texas chainsaw massacre did not work here (laughs) now you're just nitpicking (laughs) yeah because you made me watch this again that's uh (laughs) you lost 10 in a row shoot the boot my house my rules i'm not drinking that shit fine Uh, okay all right so uh some positives here let me let me throw a couple things that i do enjoy um if i had been invested in the movie it would have like hit me a lot harder but uh what's her name panna panna tiki panna baker danielle Panna Panna baker her dying at the end was really surprising the first time i saw it i was like what like, cause you know, that, that spins the idea on its head of not just the final girl, but like the pure soul getting killed. So that, that's a good little spin they do at the end there. The opening, you know, I am a sucker for the title, not hitting the screen until 15, 20 minutes in. Yep. And that little, you know, you call it a short film in and of itself. I remember watching, I do remember well, when I watched it in the theater, when that happened, I was like, okay, like, uh, let's see what happens. And then, you know, the next hour and 10 minutes happened i was like ah fuck this but even rewatching it today i think that 
opening sequence is um has its its merit in its place. Um that might be it. I think the acting <laughs> is good. I mean, can you can you separate the acting from like the movie they're in and at least appreciate that the actors are they're fine like they're doing what they need to do? I think especially because there's not a whole lot to them and, and that's fine. I don't expect a whole lot from characters in a horror movie. So I, I think it's good casting, right? Like uh, we're joking about them, basically most of them at least playing the, the characters, the type of characters they're associated with. But that's what you need. You need a shorthand so you can just get to the good stuff, to the, just the killing and all that stuff. So uh, I, I think that uh, Jerry Palatecki, Daniel uh, Panabaker, Ryan Hansen, the kid from uh, Disturbia and, and uh, the Lindsay Lohan movie, they're perfectly cast for the roles that they're playing. And so that way I can just really root for them, laugh at them. Just, the guy that plays the asshole plays an excellent asshole. So I, I think that that's, that's something to be, you know, I, I would acknowledge it as a good thing. That's you're you're within your rights to do so, my friend. <laughs> I do like Travis Van Winkle as Trent. I do actually like the Trent yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he does a great job. He's the most enjoyable aspect of the movie, whether you're cheering for him to die the whole time or or you're like me and you're like, nah, this, they're ruining this guy's stuff. I feel bad. Either way, I think he does a good job. I think he's probably the the fulcrum for your emotional attachment to anything in this movie. Well, how about the mm-hmm. the kid that that goes to save his bro? Dude, they give that guy nothing, and he, he's he has some good dialogue delivery, and he's fine. I mean, he might be a good dude, nice guy. I don't know, never met him. Uh, but they give that character nothing, and yeah, there's that really weird. Who the fuck just jacks off in a living room like when all your friends are around? <laughs> well, he was high, so maybe he just couldn't couldn't really judge how, how even more he was. so. I get paranoid when I get too high. I'd be like, I can't do this out here. I gotta go find some place <laughs> secretive. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah, that those characters weren't doing much for me. So before I forget, hit us with the with your unifying theory of the Jasons throughout the franchise, and does it include this movie? Oh no! Ev- nothing after part eight counts. Everything after part eight. Well, personally, I think accurate. Uh, <laughs> I personally think Jason goes to hell is a movie about Jason that takes place in the Jason universe. It's basically like. <laughs> Part eight happens. Jason gets reverted to a child by the mutagen in the sewer. And then everybody in the world, because it was New York City and they've seen this hockey mask guy running around murdering people, they now know about Jason. So they made a movie about what they thought this character was. And that's Jason Goes to Hell. But prior to that, yeah, you have uh, I don't believe the boy in the lake who drowned. I don't believe he ever grew up to kill anybody. I think he just stays in the lake. Part eight bears that out where Rennie, who is so much younger than any other character because of how much time has passed, talks about how she saw the ghost of the boy in the lake. I think Jason from part two, where he had a bag over his head, I think that was just uh, Pamela Voorhees' silent minion from the first movie. And then I think in the third movie, when you get hockey mask, Jason, that's just another weird deformed guy who's running around Crystal Lake who doesn't have hair and does have a right ear and doesn't look anything like the guy from part two and is like five inches taller. That's just a different killer that was around Camp Crystal Lake that same weekend. And then if I really want to push it further, I don't know why they would have buried this guy in a big tombstone in a, a cemetery. So I think Tommy Jarvis was just absolutely crazy and found the first guy he found buried named Jason Voorhees and accidentally brought him back to life with a lightning bolt. So zombie Jason also different. <laughs> so that's all the different Jasons. There's Jason who died in a lake and that's the end of him. There's Baghead Jason who was a minion, hockey mask Jason and zombie Jason. All different. All different human beings. And in like 3500 words, I write a lot more into why all of this makes <laughs> sense. It is probably the best advertisement for your website. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I made mention to the uh, idea of calling this a sequel or a remake. Uh, Victor Miller, uh, notoriously nice guy, right, Stu? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, screenwriter of the original Friday the 13th said the script was written in such a way it could be deemed a sequel as opposed to a remake because that meant they could pay him less if the movie qualified as a sequel. This explains why the plot of the film is more an amalgamation of the first four films as opposed to a retelling of the original. Miller took legal action because he felt the script they showed him was more of a remake. But the story he came up with was condensed to the first few minutes of the film. He lost the battle and was paid less. He was surprised later to see the film advertised as a remake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you wanted to, because it could be one of those uh, sequels slash remakes that they do these days, right? Like where you could say, well, this one comes after part one and everything else doesn't exist. Like like they did with the Halloween one and like, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you could technically... I mean, obviously, that didn't happen because this was not successful, but you could have kind of branched out a new timeline with this one. Fortunately, that didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, Producer Michael Bay allegedly walked out of the movie's premiere, stating the movie had too much sex. And you know it's bad if Michael Bay says that. Okay, the man behind Pain and Gain was offended by (laughs) this stupendous set of boobs. This uh, premiered, too, at the Chinese Theater <laughs> on Hollywood Boulevard, which I don't know why that tickles me so much. I wish they would have had um, mirrors or, you know, in full regalia, do the concrete handprint and then sign it as Jason Voorhees. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. <laughs> and then uh, a follow-up was slated to be released on October 13th, 2017. And was all set to go into production in a matter of weeks. But in February 2017, it was announced that Paramount had pulled the plug on the project to move forward with uh, Darren Aronofsky's horror film Mother. So I don't know how much of that's true, if that's like the thread of the ideas there. But uh, Stu, when's the closest that they've come to remaking one or doing another one, excuse me, in the past 15 years? Have they ever, to your knowledge, have they ever come close to doing it? No, I thought everything was tied up in the legal battle until very recently, so I don't think they've come close at all. Yeah, that was the whole reason with the Gun Media video game. They released it, and it was like an ever-evolving project, and famously they dropped the Uber Jason, and the Grendel was going to be the new map, and then basically due to the litigation with Victor Miller, everything was frozen, and they basically abandoned the game. So... Yeah, who knows? Julio, mother, uh, better than than this movie or not? I'll I'll watch this ten times before I watch Mother again. <laughs> no, <laughs> he shoots, he scores. <laughs> Say hi to mommy. <laughs> before I move into my closing thoughts on this, uh, we did mention the possibility of a series. Coming forth, and I found uh, an article from March 27th of last year on Bloody Disgusting, the headline being Crystal Lake, A24's Friday the 13th series likely premiering in 2024. The Friday the 13th franchise is finally getting set to return to the screen with Crystal Lake, an upcoming prequel television series from A24. Like that sentence got worse with every word. Um, (laughs) Peacock and Brian Fuller that's miraculously able to use any and all existing elements from the franchise. As we recently learned, original Friday Final Girl, Adrian King, will have a reoccurring role in the series, and King has shared two updates via social media in recent days. In one post to Twitter, King shares a behind-the-scenes photo from her first writer's meeting, while a post to Instagram suggests that the series is aiming for a 2024 premiere. Peacock has given the project a straight-to-series order, with Crystal Lake being described as an expanded prequel to the original franchise. Variety has detailed the show will be written by Brian Fuller, who is also the showrunner and executive producer. Victor Miller, who penned the original film franchise, will also executive produce along with Mark Toberoff, Rob Barasamian, and A24. Kevin Williamson will be writing an episode. Oh, my. Okay, so you brought it up, and I think that maybe this is a, a good thing to maybe, you know, close with. How are you guys feeling about this? Like, Alex, I kind of get the feeling you're free uh, antagonistic against this type of project to begin with, right? You're like, you don't want to know how the things that you love came to be. You just want to love the things you love or whatever Patton Oswalt the, says. Patton Oswalt, yeah, that's the Patton Oswalt joke. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I'm also a junkie for shit like this, yep. like wrestling, like Friday the 13th. Like the things that I'm passionate about, it's in my blood. So, like, I'll at least watch the first episode, and who knows? 
I may get hooked and watch it all. Or You need to watch something until the bear comes back. <laughs> exactly. I need something to hold me over. Uh, Stu, what about you? Where, where's your interest level at? Uh, my interest level was there. I love Jason. I love the Friday the 13th franchise, even when it's bad. Like I said, I'll, this isn't the last time in my life I've watched Friday the 13th, 2009, and I don't even like it that much. <laughs> So if they're going to give me something, I'm going to watch it and I probably won't like it. Maybe I'll just watch it. Like you said, maybe you'll hate watch it. Maybe I'll just watch it for content for the website, but (laughs) I'll watch it, man. It's Jason content. Even if Jason's not in it, it's, it's, it's something it's, it makes me happy in some level of my soul just to know that, you know, they're still making something. There's always a chance that it could get good again. Just just hold out that hope as much as you can, man. I guess we'll we'll see. We might reconvene maybe for some Patreon content and just talk about the show whenever it comes out. Uh, but you, you mentioned your website, Stu. So let's give our quick scores and then we can talk about the Stu World Order Empire. Uh, Alex, do you want to start? Absolutely. Because you're probably at the bottom of the, the poll here. Yeah, and I wanted to call out here and end this on a positive note because one of the things that's really important to keep in mind with this is like my wrestling fandom, even like real shit, like Cincinnati Bengals, like my fandom of them of when you get mad about something and uh, defensive, it comes from a place of caring. And that's the reason I dislike this so much is because I love these other things so much and that like that there's merit to that. and that's with wrestling like why it's 95 percent of the time it's fucking awful so it's like why why do you put up with it well because that five percent of the time it's the greatest thing in the world and you know that's with these some of my favorite memories like just from childhood through you know my adult years going to see terror tuesday with reed and we saw that print of jason takes manhattan that was never unopened it just never got opened in 1989 and it got shipped to the theater and we got to watch it for the first time in the world of anybody saw that print of jason takes manhattan on 35 millimeter like i have so much just sentiment and attachment to it so that when i do go off and bitch about shit it's because it's what i was talking about i can i can talk shit about my family you can't you know that <laughs> principle and it's um that's kind of what I want people to understand. It's not me bitching just to bitch. It, it, fucking Rise of Skywalker, man. That thing hurt me deep in my soul. <laughs> you know, it, it's because of what Star Wars has meant to me in other cases and like the joy it's given me. And it's all relative and it's all, you know, that's the thing. The worst is when we do these movies that I don't care about and they're bad. All the love in the world to our film busters friends. But Drop Dead Fred was one of the hardest movies to get through <laughs> because I just didn't care. And I had like, I couldn't even have like resentment and spite fueling me to get through it. Like I did this thing. Like I was like, oh man, I'm going to tear this movie a new asshole tonight when I get on the, the mic with <laughs> Stu and Julio. So I give this an F. I really dislike this movie. It is my bottom of the franchise uh, with Jason Goes to Hell just barely eking it out. But the reason. I am so passionate and my dislike of this is because of how much the other shit means to me within the same franchise. So it's so difficult sometimes to talk to people about subjects like this without them. Just like, you're a fucking nerd. It's like, yeah, if you want to uh, boil it down to like a base level argument, cause you don't actually want to have this conversation, call me that. But if you actually want to hear my thoughts, I dislike it for this reason, because this other shit that is ostensibly the same thing, makes me very happy and this makes me very mad so an f but something that comes along with the asterisk of what stan said on south park one time it's like i'm sad but in a weird way i'm happy because to be this sad something made me this happy in the first place so for me to get this fired up about it it means that it's coming from a place of a defensive love so it's a bad movie but it reminds me of what's good if that makes any sense at all been a while since you've given an F, Alex, but it's it's also I don't know if it's fitting F for fitting uh, that <laughs> that it just came with such a soulful defense and explanation of your grade. So I love it. Uh, Stu is a Stu sandwich, so you're next. All right. Well, I don't have anything nearly as beautiful to say about the franchise. I I love the franchise. That's all there is to it. Uh, I I don't like this movie because of what it did to the franchise. I will say. 
in addition to Alex, I know at least one other person that hates this much more than me. Uh, Julio, you know the pint. You <laughs> oh, know yeah. John we, and everybody. We had John for oh, our yeah. Star Trek episode. Yeah. Oh, so he he hates it, huh? We, well, no, not John, but we did a video series where we watched every single Friday the 13th and we did a video. And one of the people who was on with us was Scary Larry Dwyer. Right. And at the end of all of them, we gave it a ranking out of five. And uh, uh, Larry gave the Friday the 13th 2009 remake a zero. Well, it, it earned no points for Scary Larry Dwyer. Uh, I was, I, I guess I was substantially higher than that, but uh, I'll give this like a three out of 10. It's not great. Like I said, I'll watch it again because of what it is. But boy, just like virtually any other Friday the 13th just just shovel that shit down my throat because I love it but not this one man just, you can shovel I, like I like part five more than this and part five is not ideal but Reggie the reckless Reggie the reckless and those damn enchiladas oh god <laughs> see you, you uh, guys have your own little club going on there I mean obviously <laughs> Your opinion is the one that matters. Much like uh, when we talked about the Iron Claw, Alex, and I was telling you, this movie was made for you. And this one is a little different in the sense that I, I think, much like the last quote that we were talking about here in real, when we got to real talk, right? Like the, the idea that this was a Friday Thirteen movie that was meant to engage a new generation, like it didn't, right? But I understand that they were saying maybe this is. This is how we bring the franchise back by kind of like updating it so that the the new kids that maybe won't go watch the the movies that look a little rough will still get those elements, but it attracts them. So I can I can get it. I can also get the the nostalgic attachment and the very like personal connection to something to where you just can't help but disagree with with any changes or anything. Look. Everybody, 99% of the world, 99.9% of the world loves Across the Spider-Verse. It just came out last year. And I can't because it does some things that betray what I think that that movie should have been and what the, the previous movie had set up and all that stuff. And it's like, and I feel like I'm alone on an island. I haven't seen anybody raise my objections. And I also, I'm not... I don't have the energy to like go looking for a fight online just so I can vent, <laughs> you know, but just to say I am not above being like laser focused on something that is just not the way that I want it to be. But in this case, with Friday 13, I'm on the outside. I don't have that attachment to the franchise. I haven't even seen all the movies. So kind of like what I was saying, you know, throughout uh, Contreras Corner and throughout Real Talk, like I just... It's a horror movie. So when I watch it, I'm like, would I sit like, I'm not going to sit down to watch it again, but I wouldn't sit down to watch any of the Friday 13 movies. You know, you, you have to make me watch them. So it's fine. Oh, it, that's so sad. <laughs> it looks, it looks okay. You know, I like the acting. I like the actors. It, it does about as well as your average horror movie will do with me. You know? So I'm, I'm scoring it accordingly. I, it's a three, three out of five for me. Don't feel too betrayed, Alex. It's just, you know, it's just a score. <laughs> the real the real value is in the conversation we've had. <laughs> Three out of five. Wow. The real Friday the 13th is the friends we made along the way. Yes. <laughs> you let him drown. Jason was my son. So three, three out of five, three out of ten. F. That is... <laughs> A wide range of uh, <laughs> feelings <laughs> and scores about Friday 13, 2009. Uh, now, speaking of wide ranges, Stu, it's time to talk about your stuff. Uh, we've we've done it before. We you were here a couple of years ago for uh, the Friends Extravaganza, the uh, Romeo Michel episode, and uh, I remember you talking about your stuff then. But it's been a couple of years. We may have new listeners, so tell us. In whichever order you want, about the things you do under the Stewart Order brand. Sure. So we have the podcast, which is the Stew World Order podcast, where we review random comic book movies with our guests. Julio, you've been on three times. You've done a little Superman trilogy, which I love because the the movies that people get are drawn at random, and Julio managed to draw the first three Christopher Reeve <laughs> Superman movies was, just in backwards order. Yeah. That's all. We did three, then two, then one. 
Uh, so we do comic book movies there, like I said, randomly drawn. And then we also have the website swoproductions.com where we have fiction, some stuff written by me, some stuff written by my buddy Aaron. We have movie reviews, entertainment articles, lists, and uh, what everybody loves and what I couldn't stop hearing about this week from almost every single human being I know is that the guy who invented the Pop-Tart died because I review every flavor of Pop-Tarts on my website. So I am the suddenly the guy that is the go-to for every single person if they find out anything about Pop-Tarts. It's like, oh, we got to tell Stu. So by Amazing. the time the fifth or sixth person told me that the guy who invented the Pop-Tart died, I had to be like, what? That's so sad. And I <laughs> definitely am hearing this for the first time just now from you. Well, I can vouch for the quality of your website, your writing, and your uh, your podcasting, of course. If you want to hear more, probably a more positive conversation between Stu and I, you can you can listen to those three Superman episodes. We were way more positive about Superman three than, you know, this discussion about Friday 13th. <laughs> and that is not a good movie. Um, <laughs> I think that's it, Alex. Do you, do you have any final words of wisdom for uh, the people behind the Friday 13 franchise? Something that you want to leave them with? Stupendous. <laughs> <laughs> But that's it. That's it for this episode. Coming up next, Alex, we are we're closing on a milestone. Uh, we're heading towards our official 200th episode. Just as far as like if you're looking at the numbers, uh, the numbers that we put on the on the titles, not the numbers <laughs> on our, I guess Apple charts or whatever. Uh, we're going from having one awesome guest to having another awesome guest. The return of Chaz Fisher as we tackle. A two-part movie, so this will be a, a two-part episode, 199 and 200th, Kill Bill Volume 1, which will be followed by Kill Bill Volume 2. Alex, this came about mostly because you've been fairly vocal about how you feel about uh, Kill Bill when it comes to Tarantino's <laughs> filmography. Perhaps not as vocal as you've been about the Friday 13, 2009 movie, but, but still. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. Alex, let's get out of here. Let's do Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgeiser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at latenightgrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Yeah,